What even drives me more crazy mm. are the ones who put it right next to the cart rack, but won't put it in the cart rack. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't confront people about it, but in my mind, like there the is Karen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I am not, I'm not accosting people because in fact, that would that's, be awesome. That, <laughs> that's I want to record that. <laughs> I bet you do. back to another episode of Resisting Pretense. We're here to have honest conversations about a life of faith in modern culture. And we hope at the end of the episode, it'll equip you to have some of your own conversations and, and, and stir those up in you. So uh, I'm Tom Burks. I'm Scott Little. And um, we're going to jump into a conversation about, it really kind of ends up being about morality. I guess. Um, but our, our entrance into that, I think is going to be pet peeves because they're just fun to talk about. <laughs> it's like, it's like one of those icebreaker questions. Yeah. You now you go into a group and say, what is your pet peeve? Yeah. This is a good icebreaker question. And it's an, it got an inter- interesting tie to morality. So what about you, Scott? What are your, what are your pet peeves? You know, I think I used to have some that, that, define my age and so i'm not even going to talk about those because they're pretty much (laughs) they're not existent anymore for the most part i think uh, magazines have gone to the wayside and so they my pet peeve has kind of gone away in that case but i think one of my my big pet peeves now in my life is seeing uh like when i go shopping to sam's club Mm -hmm. i know people have been walking around for the last 45 minutes for an hour picking up all their stuff and they get it all the way to their car and they can't take their cart back to the cart, the cart rack. You know, it's like, and, and what even drives yeah, that me, one extra minute, that just one too extra much. minute to put it in there or to push in the next, what even drives me more crazy mm. are the ones who put it right next to the cart rack, but won't put it in the cart rack. <laughs> it's like, come on people. You've spent all this time. And you know, I always hear the argument, um, well, if I have children, I really don't want to push my cart back because I've got children in the car and I'm worried about that. And I'm like, okay, I can, I can probably have a little grace there, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure that the 500 carts that aren't in the cart rack belong to 500 people without, <laughs> you know, and I see it all the time. I'm just like, and I'm that weird guy that goes into the cart rack and straightens them all out and pushes them all oh, in. Oh yeah, you are weird. <clears throat> Because I want people to have room to push their carts into the car rack. You know? Oh, you're like the cart Nazi. Oh, I am. I, I love it. I'm horrible about it. And I don't, you know, I don't confront people about it. But in my mind, like there the is... Karen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not accosting people because in fact... That would that's, be awesome. That, <laughs> that's I want to record that. <laughs> I bet you do. But in my mind, there is this whole conversation oh, about... Wow. I'm I'm sorry that you walked an hour and a half around the store and can't get your lazy butt to walk the cart into a cart rack. You know, I life is hard for you. I can tell you know, just all these sarcasms yeah. that are coming out of me. So Oh, that's it, hilarious. It's kind of a scary thought of of what You know, you just need to live a long time though, because all of it seems like all of your pet peeves are gonna age out. Like, now Ow. <laughs> well, now people are are just showing up and Sam's Club delivers the 
the order to your car or if you're my daughter can't even be bothered with that she just has walmart bring the food to the house (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing you know that's the thing about um so so interesting about covid totally off topic but how it accelerated certain kinds of change in our culture like in church life it accelerated a whole bunch of change we'd been talking for years about you know We've offered online giving years before COVID started, and we've always kind of toyed with the, do you, do we stop passing the plate? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, you know, and then COVID happened and like instantaneously we stopped passing the plate and we never went back to it. And shopping, like people maybe had toyed with, you know, on well, I mean, people ordered from Amazon and from other places. You can order from Walmart online before before COVID, but now that whole extra piece of how you get, whether you go in the store or whether they bring it out to you or they deliver it to your like, that's such a different thing that happens so fast. Normally, it takes years for businesses to to kind of develop a new pattern of delivery and that that happens so fast it was crazy now let me throw just a a, an interesting thought that just crossed my mind as you were talking about that Mm. because if you look back and and it was a little bit different in technology has has made it its own way but you look back when in the supermarkets of like the 50s there was always a bag boy that bagged your groceries for you they Mm -hmm. put them in the cart they pushed the cart out to your car for you kind of come full circle yeah, exactly. That's my point. <laughs> That's my point is, you know, we've mm-hmm. because of technology, we've kind of we're back to kind of that same idea. Kind of funny, I never thought about that. So, all right. That's so, my pet peeve. What is yours? Okay, I've got one. Well, I've got more than one, but I, the the one that stands out to me is maybe like the most intense pet peeve. Um, I cannot stand stopping on an interstate. <laughs> It it makes me like boiling angry inside. And it's weird because other than that one experience, I'm not an angry driver. Like I don't, people cut me off and my wife's like honk at them. I'm like, eh, why, why, why bother? I don't, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they're having a terrible day. You know, it's just like, so I'm not an angry driver, but. So city traffic doesn't bother you. No, not at all. And traffic on the interstate doesn't bother me. But when you have a road that is designed with controlled on-ramps and exits and there's, I mean, other than like the bridge fell down, like there's no reason because there's a, and a wreck on the side of the road, there's no reason for traffic to be stopped on the road. And I just, like, I, mm, <laughs> I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to my brain. And I know there's probably, you know, I've heard people talk about, well, it's the people changing lanes that then makes the person behind them break. And then the person behind them has to break. And, the, you know, it's a chain reaction. So, you know, just stay in the lane that you're in. You'll get through it better. Changing lanes creates the. I don't care if I like. I could be moving five miles an hour and I'm okay. But the moment I come to a full and complete stop, I'm on the interstate without I'm like, any reason. 
Well, I don't even care what, like, as long as, like, there's a road ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) Like, my my whole worldview is just destroyed. I'm so glad you don't live in California on the major highways there, because they're, I, I, yeah, it drives me nuts. (laughs) And you know me, like, I'm, I'm not generally... An outwardly angry person, but I know, like, I get anxious and I'm like, I'm rubbernecking around trying to figure out, and I'm I'm trying to angle like, what's the what lane is moving, and I'm the guy changing lanes all the time. Considering driving in the alcoholics lane just so you can keep moving, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes. We should we should it should not stop. It can go slower, but it should not stop. I I'm not sure that I think. I'm not sure that that's really a question of boundary or morality, though. I mean, unless you It is in my uh, mind. (laughs) Maybe the morality of how you're considering those other people in the midst of it, kind of like me and my shopping carts, you know? Yeah. Because because for me, and, and it's my standard, I know it's my standard, and I can't push that standard on anybody else. But you sure would like to. But I would like to. The right thing to do is to put your cart away. If, if you can walk around the store that long, you can put your cart away. So that begs the question, what's the standard for, I'm doing air quotes on an <laughs> audio podcast. What's, what's the, the YouTube st- people will love it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, what's the standard for good? Ooh, that's a good question. And that's where this gets into a whole morality thing. Because a lot of times the pet peeves are things that we think people should do. Like, you know, I know people with pet peeves of finding a can of corn in the supermarket in the chip aisle because somebody had a can of corn. And they, oh, I don't need that. And like, yeah, I'm not going to go back four aisles and put it away. So I'll just set it down here. And some people are like, oh, that's so wrong. Is that obsessive compulsive? Maybe a little bit <laughs> like me <laughs> and my shopping carts. But, you know, pet peeves are these things that we just feel like people should do right they're good they're right right what's the stand like but we clearly don't all have the same standards or else we wouldn't have pet peeves well and i think i think we do set standards but not based on our pet peeves we we set them on what we think is what what might be considered morally right or wrong the problem we run into is that that there is, I think, a moral standard established by God, mm-hmm. and then there is a moral standard established by law. And all of us are required to follow the law. Mm-hmm. But I think that when, when we follow the, mo- mo- the moral standards of God, there is a place where we say, well, we know where this comes from, and we know it's coming out of a place of love and out of a place of safe boundaries versus the law is setting boundaries, but the law is saying boundaries because somebody else has dictated this is wrong for you. Not does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and the, the legal standard, I just don't think it goes far enough to be a substitute for like a comprehensive standard for good. The legal standard is only what makes us function as a society. And there's so many things not included in the legal excuse me, the legal standard. So like, for example, it's not illegal for me to lie to you. 
you like this shirt? Yeah, it's great. You know, that there's nothing illegal about that. Now, if me lying to you has a consequence that it that it has cost you something, then there's some possible legal ramification things like fraud and all that that are essentially kind of the legal consequences of lying about something. But it can't cover all lies, and there are, there are lies that have no consequence that are not illegal. And so I just don't think, whether it's legal or not, has a very small bearing on whether it's good or not. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, and it, and it goes back to the whole idea of, of morality is that, and I've heard you say this several times, um, that we can't legislate morality. Right. And that's where we get where we get laws from. It's interesting. <laughs> I was thinking about as you were talking about the your example of lies is that it's not illegal for you to lie to me. It is illegal for you to lie in a court of law about me. Yeah. You know? yeah. So there's there is there are these lines that say, well, you, you can lie some places yeah, and not others. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where where the moral don't lie in the wrong room. Where the moral standard is really you don't lie. Right. And that it's not a question of, you know, it is morally wrong as a believer to lie to you. But legally it's not morally wrong for me to lie to you. So it's kind of like legal standards are based on a moral code. Mm-hmm. But they are not the totality of the, they're they're a limited subset of a moral code. And then so how do you how do you define Particularly, and, and this is this is hard for me because outs like I don't have a, I don't have a frame of reference for not being a Christian. Like I grew up in a Christian environment, Christian home. My morality has always been anchored in my faith and in the Scripture, and so I don't know how somebody comes up with a comprehensive moral standard outside of a faith environment because because the law's not enough clearly that's that's just a very limited subset so how does somebody who has no faith no no you know like anchoring document like the bible or anchoring principle like god's character or whatever it would be you know how how do those people decide what's right and wrong i i honestly don't know well, but I think part of that comes into the idea of things being subjective and relative. Mm-hmm. And so even though I say it's wrong, somebody outside of the faith might say, well, that's fine for you because that's yeah. relative to you and that's your your subjectivity. Where for a believer, we say our morality isn't subjective. It's objective. It's clearly laid out in the creator of what our morality is. And so somebody who has no reference to that level of, of objectivity and morality, they have nothing to base it off of. And so right. they're looking around the world and they're going, you know, well, this country believes this and I kind of like that. And so I think that's, <laughs> that's where, you know, I think that's where I will believe. Like and, a grab bag of morality. <laughs> well, and, it's, and, it, and it truly is where, where our court system is gone because when our court systems were originally set up, they were set up based on biblical values, based on the idea that there were judges of, of thousands and judges mm-hmm. of hundreds and judges of fifties, and that those people would judge based on 
biblical law. When, when, especially in our country, when the court system moved from being a biblical-based law system to a uh, precedent law system, it began to change things. And, and so when things started to say, well, the precedent has been set here in California, so that now has become the law because the precedent has been set or set over here. In fact, there was a big case several, several, several years ago where they tried to bring in a precedent that was set in the Netherlands in a United States court system. That's bizarre. And it got thrown out because of that. Yeah. But when we look at our, our current system, it's like, well, this judgment was made back here, so that is now the precedent that we have to live by. Yeah. Versus... But again, like, legal systems are still such a small... Like, they're not going to cover how you handle your cart in the parking lot of the grocery store. They should! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, You know, they're not going to handle whether you put things back on the the rack where you found them or if they just land wherever you decided you didn't want it anymore. I I mean, there's so many things that the legal system is not even but that are still all about our moral code. And honestly, I think, and I really hadn't thought about it until like during this conversation, I love that I have a code given to me. Mm-hmm. And we're so fiercely independent and, and contextual in our country. And we kind of, we, we love our freedom and our, you know, and our ability to make our own choices. And I, like, I get that. But I also, when I think about how would I arrive at a moral code that I could live by and that I could teach my children outside of faith, like if I I wasn't a follower of Jesus and that all meant nothing to me, like how would I figure out what I wanted to teach my children about stuff? That's a little, like, that feels weird. That, that's that's uncomfortable for me like because I want it I want it to be anchored in something mean like not just random not just arbitrary like well this is how I feel about it so this is what I'm gonna teach you is right and wrong that feels very like just based on my emotion or my perception or like what I ate for breakfast that day that <laughs> that feels very arbitrary and not reliable mm-hmm. and so, I like that I have something that's that is clearly set and defined and granted it takes a lot of thoughtful engagement to kind of figure out how do I apply the Bible to today's moral landscape. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it's just like, oh, I have a list of rules, but I I have principles to live by. But I didn't have to create them and I didn't have to decide that I'm the arbiter of this truth, like it was given. And I like that. I like, I feel comfortable about that. I've never really thought about that before we got engaged in the conversation. Well, yeah. And I think that so much of our legal moral code comes from our Christian moral mm-hmm. code, but people don't always understand that. So <laughs> if you didn't grow up in the faith and your child said to you, well, why don't we murder? Well, because that's the law of the land. But if you asked, if you asked a, a believer, they would say, because the creator created life and mm. it is not our place to take life. And in fact, he finds it offensive for somebody to take somebody else's life. 
you know, and so they're for I'm us, laughing at a, the exact wrong moment. Sorry, <laughs> on a rabbit trail in my head. I'll tell you it later. But go ahead. But the point being is that we can look back and go, we know where and why the code came into place. Mm-hmm. Where I think somebody who has not had a a upbringing like that would go, because that's just the law of the land. Well, where did that law of the land come from? Right. So you're saying, Daddy, why don't we murder? And in my head, I'm thinking, well. Your daddy's kind of a small guy. <laughs> and there's probably, if we murdered somebody, there's probably somebody in their family that could easily take your dad out. So we just don't go there. Like, that's what I was thinking. So that's why I was laughing in the background about murder. Um, awesome. Sounds like a sitcom speech. <laughs> you know. So when it comes to Christian faith, um, there's an interesting relationship between morality and boundaries, really coming essentially they're the same thing. The, the morality that the Christian faith espouses is just a set of boundaries that God gave. So like you stay in these boundaries and, and we're good. It's not, uh, at least, at least the way that I look at scripture, some, some very, fundamentalist kind of Christians might say that it's a set of rules you have to follow. I think of it more as a set of boundaries you kind of stay within. Exactly. Um, and they're, they're more principle based. Um, so for example, like you, um, like you value truth and, you know, being honest is inside the boundary lying is outside the boundary now you you know and i and i think valuing truth um it gives you a lot of a lot of kind of nuance to kind of say how do I, how do i most value truth in this situation or you know you you value authenticity or you value caring for compassion well what's the most compassionate thing i could do there I, there's not a you can't have a list of rules long enough or this is how you do compassion in every single situation. Like you need the principle of compassion, like loving others, mm-hmm. like you would love yourself. And then now you got to figure out how do I apply that in this, this situation? Sometimes that may mean telling someone no, that is a hard no to make because you kind of, you know, like I would love to help you, but I feel like helping you is enabling something in you that, that I, I think ultimately is not good for you. So I'm going to tell you no, even though it's a, it's a difficult or painful no, or maybe somebody asks you for help. And you're like, yeah, you know, you need help moving. Yeah, I'll help you. And you might have the same question from a different person. You need help moving. Like, you know, every time you've asked for my help, it's always been five minutes after you needed it. Like I'm going to say no this time because I feel like you're always, your lack of planning ahead means you're always needing to be rescued. And so if you will plan, if you will give me two or three days notice or a week's notice, whatever it is, like I will be more than happy to help you. But right now this is a crisis of your own making and it's a pattern. Mm -hmm. So how we respond, I think, is nuanced to the situation and to the how to best apply the principle in the situation that we're in. Um, And I don't think that's situational ethics in that in the crassest sense of that. I've heard people say, well, situational ethics are nothing. I just think that's reality. 
Well, and I think that that oftentimes when we when we look at scripture, and and people say, oh, oh, Christians don't have any fun. They they have all these rules to follow. We always look at what we can't do because that's the boundary. But we never mm. look at the freedom oh, that so comes much. on the inside yeah. of that boundary. And and the boundary is really not about pinning us in. It's about protecting us from either hurting ourselves physically, emotionally, or spiritually, or hurting somebody else in the process. And and I think about <clears throat> and there's, you know, there's a whole whole I mean, you can take anything and look at it, but I'm going to use the, the, the one of, we, we really want good communication. Mm-hmm. My wife would love for me to communicate more with her. <laughs> she would, you know. That she, never, is that ever not true about a wife? Well, but, you know, the, the conversation often will be, will be with a group of people like I might be with, we might be with you and your wife, and mm-hmm. you'll say something, and she'll look at me and go, you didn't tell me that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I didn't because I don't always communicate well. Um, I have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. You're, now you're lying. Now you're outside <laughs> of the boundary. Caught <laughs> red-handed. But we're, we're designed to have good communication. We're designed to talk. We're designed mm. to have those kinds of things. We're designed to tell the truth. But taking that outside of how God designed us for that it becomes gossip. It becomes a hurtful, let me tell you about this person and what's going on in their lives. And, you know, then it's like, I'm communicating with you, but in a hurtful, none mm-hmm. of my business kind of way, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think all of the boundaries that, that God gives us can, can be, they, they kind of have a, a, a shadow side or, you know, a, a dark side. Like you can, you can say compassion is a bit like we we should be compassionate. That's the boundary. But sometimes you can be so invested in compassion that it becomes permissive mm-hmm. rather than constructive. Mm-hmm. And so this 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 internal desire to show compassion then becomes like you know anything goes. Mm-hmm. I'm a you know I'm going to condone anything you do. Um, and there's a so there's there's all kinds of I think other side you you talked about um, in our prep you talked about self care can easily denigrate into selfishness mm-hmm. yeah so interesting though is, is because when we talk about these things that they always at least everything within inside of God's boundaries are always positive and 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 we look at them and go. But how could that be taken outside of God's boundaries and become bad? Mm. And I think about generosity. Because if I ever said to you... It's hard to imagine being too generous. Yeah, right. exactly. It's, it's, it's difficult to see that. But sometimes we can be too generous and that creates this wastefulness that, that whatever we're being generous with is over the top and then they don't use it or they can't use it or... It's just sitting in a corner or, and I even took it as I was beginning to think about this. One of the problems that we run into oftentimes uh, is the generosity of Americans, even in the church to like the mission field 
has created this dependence mm. or this expectation from that country that now they don't do anything for themselves. And I remember my son and daughter coming back from a mission uh, trip to Haiti. That's exactly what I was thinking about, The same because he told me the same story. Yeah. That people would not go to eye doctors in their own country or they wouldn't go to to eye clinics in their own country because it would cost them something because they knew eventually even if it was a couple years later the americans were going to come they were going to bring glasses with them they were going to give them they didn't have to do anything mm. to receive this this item and so it's it's almost that feeling of um and even in our own experiences in 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 missions we would have people who would say, these churches are going to come to you because they know you're Americans and they know they are going to, you're going to give them stuff. So they're going to be asking for the world. You need right. to be careful about how generous you are because it takes their responsibility out of taking care of themselves. Without purposefulness, any of these can be, you know, can, can denigrate into that kind of shadow side. Absolutely. Um, you know, our, our caring still, we can care, but we all, we also need to care purposefully. We need, we can be generous, but it needs to be purposeful. We can communicate. It needs to be purposeful there. You know, when, when we do these things without a sense of purpose, then I think that's when it just kind of, it gets loose and it no longer has the same constructive value. Um, yeah, you, it was interesting. There's, there's positive boundaries and there's negative, like there's the positive boundaries of do this, do this, do like, mm -hmm. not this specific, like, but like, you know, aspire to be kind, aspire to be good, aspire, you know, those are, those are positive, positive boundaries. And there's negative boundaries, like don't lie, don't cheat, don't, you know, 10 commandments are all generally negative boundaries. And the... I don't know, I lean toward the aspiration kind of of positive boundaries. Um, but it's interesting. I find that in different situations, um, the positive or negative, the way they're expressed, positive or negative boundaries, um, can be helpful in different ways. It's funny, the negative boundaries actually, in a lot of ways, create a great sense of freedom. Like if... <laughs> I know I can't do these 12 things, then I can do anything else. Um, and it's great organizationally, I think. Like, um, I went through this training for how to work with a board of directors. And they were like, you need to create a list of boundary statements for the executive of the organization, of the things they can't do. And they are the only things they can't do. Like, they can't choose to have the company do something that is illegal. They can't overspend what is in their discretionary amount to spend. They can't, you know, hire like at this particular level of the organization without approval. Um, they, you know, and it was just like this, this list. And then, and then outside of those, whatever, however many statements that were the boundaries for the executive. It's like, other than that, you run the company and the board provides oversight. And, and the only, the only times they can truly correct you is when 
you've done something bad. When you've done something outside of those boundaries. And sometimes you learn about a new bound, like, oh, we probably should have a boundary there. We didn't like, we got bit in the butt with that one. Um, but then there's a huge sense of freedom because I know exactly where I can't step, but in anywhere else I can step, I can do with a sense of like, this is safe. This is good. So I, I think, um, particularly organizationally, when you're trying to create a, a rule, negative boundaries are most helpful. Um, but I think when you're trying to inspire someone uh, personally, I, I like the positive boundaries better. Like, you know, you know, when my kid walks out the door, I'm like, be good or be kind or make somebody's day today. Right. And those are things to aspire to that I think, you know, when you walk out the door, it's like, don't cheat on your chest today. <laughs> like that's, just, that's not redemptive. It's not. Um, well, unless it's the fifth time you ca- caught him te- right. cheating on his ch- test. But, but the other thing is, is that, and as you were talking, I was thinking about this because I think there are the negative boundaries say almost give us the, the hard line of this is when you've crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we find that we've crossed over, there is a way to step back using positive boundaries. And the one that came to my mind was that sometimes we, if we fall, if we want need to deal with either like selfishness or greed, the the uh, antidote to that is generosity, is learning to be generous because that takes us out of I want, I want, I mm, want, and going, yeah. wow, look what this did for someone else, you know, and and. The boundaries, good or bad, are always pointing us back to the Savior. Mm. They're always taking us back to say, this this is how I am. Be like me. And that's huge to me. Like, ultimately, the Christian standard of morality isn't even the Bible. Like, it's, we see it in the Bible. But what it is, the Christian standard of morality is God's character. And whatever these boundaries, you know, the the negative boundaries are the, like, this is clearly outside of God's boundary. But when you talk about positive boundaries, like, you know, um, be holy because I am holy or, you know, love your neighbor as yourself or, you know, give give abundantly or gener- you know, generosity or gratitude, those, you know, those positive values are almost like signs that lead you into, like, deeper into God's character. And ultimately when we're reflecting the character of God, we're going to, we're going to be making good decisions that are purposeful, that are, you know, that, that defy kind of having a list of rights and wrongs. Now, now it's just about care. And I, I think God's far more concerned about our character than anything else. Well, and I think that that's, as we say, this is God's character, and I want to be in God's character, it moves me away from that negative boundary. If God's character is generosity, and I lean into generosity, I'm going to move away from greed and selfishness. And so, you know, it's almost like giving me more freedom in, in going towards Jesus than giving up my freedom, going away from Jesus. Yeah. I, it makes it just, I'd love to get into some conversations just out in life with people 
that aren't Christians and try to try to dig into like what how are you making these de- what are you basing it off of what's like what's the anchor or is it just truly just arbitrary like is it just cult like whatever seems culturally appropriate or relevant at the time it, it's interesting i'd be very curious to find someone so much of my circle is christian people um i think it'd be a really valuable conversation to get into to find out what's what's driving this and everyone else so to wrap it up i have a kind of a question for you um just thought it was it would be entertaining uh, <laughs> what boundaries <laughs> Do you like being tight in like, like it feels safer and better and good to have tight boundaries? And what boundaries do you kind of wish weren't there? Um, I think uh, that's, that's a hard question. It's probably easier for me to say that I wish there wasn't a boundary like on debauchery, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, because <laughs> you, you know, I mean, we, we really spend one, truly one day in debauchery. Scott's and, a secret pirate. Thanks, He's a closet pirate. Thanksgiving, you know, <laughs> where we just like, oh, let me eat and drink and oh, this is great. And, you know, just keep bringing on the food. That and, oh, okay. su- that and Super Bowl Sunday. I think, right, you know, yeah. those two are kind of the, you know, but the rest of the time you're like, going, oh, you know, I need to really be kind of nice, you know. So I think there's just things that I would love to indulge in. Mm-hmm. That I don't because I know that's that's really not what Christ's heart is. But my my inner self is going, ooh, that would be fun to just dive into that and go crazy, you know, yeah. whatever that is. So I think I think that one <laughs> those calorie things I don't know. <laughs> but I think that that would be the the one to loosen up on. The one that I like having a a, a tightness I think around is is really about uh, intimacy um, within relationships. Mm. And that includes, I mean, not just physical intimacy. So I think there's boundaries with my wife that says, you don't take this beyond your wife because that, that goes into, you know, um, promiscuity and, and a variety of things that are hurtful. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's, always a boundary that I, that I, I, um, is always looming, Mm. but it wouldn't be looming if it wasn't there. And so I'm glad that it's there because it keeps me tied in, but even intimacy emotionally, um, with people develops a trust and, uh, a level of communication and, and 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 a gentleness and a grace and a forgiveness. And I like that I like that level of saying intimacy is good. Don't take it outside of it. So I like the tightness mm-hmm. of, of that. Yeah. It's interesting. I, um, we hadn't discussed it before we started recording, but I think mine are about the same, um, in general terms, like the, the boundaries around what healthy relationships look like and what you have to do to foster and protect those are like, they feel really good being tight, like being, being very clearly defined and, and, and not a lot of wiggle room in them 
because of the potential for hurt. It's funny for me. I'll just I'll just come out and say it because my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> I think you know when you said debauchery, um, I was thinking a little wider than chocolate pie. Uh, <laughs> the now, wait a minute. Now I'm curious about your definition of debauchery. <laughs> well, I was thinking about all all the passions of life. Like you know, there's. There's the shadow side of of me that wants no boundaries for anything and wants, you know, to um for there to be um you know, eat whatever you want, do whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want. I mean all, you know, just no boundaries at all. And there's that there's one side of me that like, you know, that's that like cast, that's enticing, yeah. That, you know, that just feels like, you know, that would be so much easier. Um and so it's really the same thing, like the, the same thing that I appreciate about tight boundaries and intimacy and relationships is what the other side of me is fighting. And it's, it's because I know if I, if I indulged mm -hmm. all the passions of life, there would be a train wreck of hurt and pain because it would not be intimacy it would be selfishness right um it wouldn't you know it wouldn't have merit and meaning and depth it would just be me indulging every selfish thing i wanted and and it wouldn't be good and so the the boundaries that god gave us that are particularly relational ones i do find um very valuable even though they fight sometimes with those those um, things inside of us that just want our own way all the time. Right. Yeah. When we uh, begin planning this, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to something you said in the initial planning mm. of this podcast, which I thought was fascinating. And I thought that's, I like what you had to say about it. And I'm going to probably do a very poor job of, <laughs> of I doubt that re expressing what you said, but just say it and I'll fix it. <clears throat> it was to, the, but it was to the idea of, one of the boundaries that I wish was held tighter, that you said, you know, that I think is too loose and should be held tighter in our society, is is definitions. It's it's the definitions oh, yeah. of of you know, and I think it was in the idea of gender, was the idea that that let's define these because we've made them so loose that mm -hmm. confusing. And I don't know if you remember that conversation. A, a bit, yeah. I think we, when we keep changing what words mean, then and then then we get into conversations where you're using the same words I am, and we're but we're using them with different meanings, and I I don't think it's helpful. Um, I think the context of the conversation we were having was about marriage, like whether traditional marriage and gay marriage, and I just frankly wish that we would call them something different. I understand in our society, not, not everyone's a follower of Jesus and, you know, gay and lesbian people have relationships that they want to be committed to each other and have the same, you know, tax benefits as a traditionally married couple. And I, I get that. Like I'm, 
but I wish they would call it something different because it is something different. I mean, it's a different kind of relationship. Um, and I feel like it, it muddies the waters when we use language inarticulately. Um, and I, I understand some of the reasons why they don't want different language. Um, but I would, I think you can also celebrate, we have this thing that it's ours and we call it this great. And we have our thing and we celebrate and we call it this and that's, that's fine. But I think it's when we get into comp competing with each other, um, and it, it does get back to morality because I, I want to call my thing that's different what you call yours so that it falls in the category of, of what you would call good. good. And we can't, we can't tweak language to affect morality. Morality is based in God's character, not in language, at least for the Christian. And so I just think we, we're having sometimes silly conversations about things rather than meaningful conversations because we're willing to even, frankly, create new words or new categories so that we could have meaningful conversations. But, yeah, I definitely, I would love to see Christians engaging more with their friends about, like, how do you decide, you know, how do you decide what to tell your kids about this? And just find out, like, because I know how I'm going to decide. I'm going to tell my kids. And I, I just, you know, these are the conversations that we could have with people that introduce faith in the conversation without being a, let me tell you how wrong you are. Well, like, I just, I want to understand what you, th what you think and how you process. And then often the natural response is, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess I do this and this. What do you do? Right. And then, you, you know, this is wide open door to say, uh, for me, it's all about, you know, how I understand God's character and try to model that as best as I can in our setting. Um, cause that's, there, there's something consistent there. And I think our culture goes all over the map. Well, and I think there's always different kinds of, of conversations that you can even step into that, you know, even whether it's talking about politics or talking about world issues or whatever a simple way to step into that is, is just like you said so tell me how you came to this decision mm -hmm. Where, what is the what is the the backtracking to how you morally decided this was right or this was wrong i'm just curious to know yeah that thought process yeah so i guess the the challenge to our listeners would be one is your sense of morality grounded in in cultural trends or in God's character and then two is it a is it a have, have you seen it as an open door to engage in conversation with people that brings in the faith into the conversation not not in an accusatory way but just in a, like in a dialogue and I think that's a that's another way for us to engage our culture with faith love it all right well we are still uh, sadly unofficially <laughs> Sponsored by Diet Coke. And I haven't finished my Diet Coke yet this round, but usually it's gone before the end. But Well, we've been talking a lot. We, we, we haven't. <laughs> That'd be funny if we just didn't talk at all while we are drinking. But, um, but yeah, so still unofficially uh, sponsored by Diet Coke. Can we call that sponsored? I guess. We call it whatever we want if it's unofficial. <laughs>
Well, yeah, somebody's somebody's paying for it. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it was me today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. I can't say it's unofficially right. sponsored by Tom Burks. There it's you a, go. <laughs> it's unofficially sponsored it's by. Officially sponsored. It's officially. By. <laughs> What's right. the boundary? That's right. We'll, we'll see you next time. Bye.